And so we uh, encourage you this morning to take your Bibles and find John's Gospel, chapter number 20. John's Gospel. Now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll have one of the ushers come by and bring you a Bible. Anybody need a Bible this morning? Just slip it up. Anybody? We're good. Good. John's Gospel, chapter number 20. We have been going through John's Gospel for quite some time now, and what we have done is we are not going verse by verse, but we are looking at the sevens that we find in John's Gospel. Uh, the seven I am, seven times where Christ said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the way. Those sevens. We looked at the seven witnesses we find in John's Gospel. We have looked at the seven conversations recorded in John's Gospel. And these seven conversations are conversations that Christ has had with different women. So there are seven conversations with ladies we find in the Bible. Two are with his mother, one at the beginning of his ministry, and the other conversation with Mary, his mother, when he's on the cross. The second conversation would be with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Who, uh, who was married five times and now divorced and living with another man. Then we met the woman taken in adultery. We met Mary and Martha, the two sisters whose brother had just died in the conversations that were taking place there. And then last Sunday in Resurrection Sunday, we looked at the conversation he had with Mary Magdalene after his resurrection. Now, uh, as we look at all these things, I kind of want to bring this together and give us a kind of tie them together. When we look at these seven women and, and we try to study what's going on here, uh, you have to confess this is, very, this is an eclectic bunch. None of them are the same. All come from different backgrounds. Where the conversations take place are in different places, and what brings about the conversations is, 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 is different. Uh, especially when we get to the woman taken in adultery, that, there's a woman who didn't think she was ever going to have that conversation but when as things played out as they did she ended up having the conversation with the Lord which turned out to be a blessing for her the woman at the well did not plan on her conversation she was going just going out for water but the Lord planned that one as well and he met her there at the well which led to her salvation Amen. and uh and so uh, we're trying to put well, what's the what's the key what what's what's the purpose to these seven conversations? Is there a thread that we can look at? And, and, and what's the point of all of them? Why did the Holy Spirit of God pick these seven? What's the purpose to it? What, what's, the, what's the end game in, in learning all of these things? Solomon, at the end of his book of Ecclesiastes, he's searching for meaning in life. And at the end of his book, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. And of course, Solomon's conclusion at the end of the matter is fear God uh, when you're young and serve him all the days so that when you get old you won't regret your life. The key to a happy life is serving the Lord, finding him young. This way you don't have a lot of baggage when you get older. Now we're all going to have regrets and heartaches, but you won't have as many as if you just put Jesus first when you're young. So what's the conclusion? Well, I'm going to give you a deep, profound thought. As I studied the Word of God in depth and tried to find the key to all of this and 
And, and, and this mysterious verse jumped out. I'm being facetious because it's right there staring you in the face. Amen. John chapter number 20 and verse number 31. But these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing ye might have life through his name. Why did God give us these seven conversations? Well, it's simple, my friends. It's nothing. It's, I like to say it's deeper. We'll go a little deeper, but it's simply this. These seven conversations are there to prove to you that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God and that he's able to give you eternal life, just like he gave those seven ladies the gift of eternal life. You as well can have that gift. Let's make our prayer, and then we'll look at the scriptures. Father, bless this time. Bless this hour now. Thank you for the songs and those who are able to be here. There's, Lord, there's several homesick today. I pray you, and you'll touch them, give healing and strength to their bodies. And I pray, dear God, that we'll, for just a few moments, forget about the world and focus on the scriptures. And Lord, Spirit of God, speak to our hearts that we may be drawn closer to you. Bless this time and this hour now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Scripture says these things are written, why? That ye might believe. That ye might believe. God gave us a Bible, and all 66 books of your Bible are there for one purpose and one purpose only. It's to reveal to you, Almighty God, that you might believe. Believe who he is. That word believe is a word that means commit. And again, it's the same word. Again, this gives us what we call an excellent picture of saving faith. And every single one of us needs to have saving faith. It's the idea that we, uh, we've believed upon something that has given us eternal life. Because, friend, at the end of the day, we're all going to check out of this place. We do not know that day or time, but there will come a day and time for all of us. So eternity does loom on the horizon. And where we spend that eternity determines what we do now. Saving faith is not head knowledge. It's just not a mental conviction about something. It's, uh, it, it's not an intellectual uh, process. It's, it's more than that. It, it, it's not just believing the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. It, it's more than that. Years ago, we were out witnessing in the neighborhood, inviting folks to church, and we had a lady with us, and uh, she thought she was well-versed. She followed a guy on the internet who was a, is a heretic, and, and she, that was her, basically her guru, and she, fought, and she eventually moved to, to go out to, to go to his place and, and follow this man and his teaching. And, and her, her and my wife were out witnessing one day, and, and uh, she walked up to a man on the street, and, and, and she said, do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross? And the man kind of like, uh... Yeah. Well, do you believe he rose from the dead? And he, uh, yeah. Do you believe he died for you and, and did that for you? He's like, uh, uh, yeah. She goes, well, you're saved. And my wife went, time out. <laughs> time out. No, no. See, that's all, it's all here. It's all here. It's all head knowledge. It, it, it's not just believing in history. And you can believe there was a man, Jesus, and you can believe he died, and you can even believe he rose again, but that's historical facts, much in the way that we believe in a, in a, in a George Washington who once lived and, and died but never rose again. I, last, I was just down there last fall. George Washington's still dead, and his sarcophagus is still on display. He's, he's still in there. He didn't rise from the dead. So as much as we may like the dear man, he's, he's still dead. He's not a savior of the world. 
It's not just believing on words and claims of Jesus in the same way a person believes on an individual. Saving faith is believing in Jesus, who and what he is, and that he is the Savior. And, 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 putting, and trusting in those things. It is a man giving and, and turning his life over to Jesus Christ. It's a man casting himself upon Jesus as Savior. This is the only Savior. I, I've, I've, a few times in my life, sad to say, there's, I've almost drowned. Once was a boy, and we had a pool in our backyard, and I was out there, it was full, and, and the pool was closed, and the water was dark, and I remember as a boy, probably four years old, it was a four-foot pool, four-foot-tall above-ground pool, but I remember leaning over the pool and, and playing with the leaves that were, had fallen in there because we had a giant tree there, and I remember tumbling headlong, falling over, and tumbling into that pool and uh, not able to reach the bottom, but uh, able enough to get to the side and, and, and pull myself out of the pool. It would be a sad thing if my mom had come out and saw me floating in that pool out there that day. I went inside terrified, one, terrified that I almost died. Two, that I might get caught and get a beating from my mom for falling in the pool, amen? So I quickly hit myself, changed my clothes, threw them somewhere, and, and put on, you know, as a four-year-old, you know, just, I got I to gotta do something real quick. That's your sinful nature trying to hide, amen? And then we were at a lake one time, probably a year later, with my friend. He was being raised by his grandparents, and we were out there at a lake, and there was a bunch of other kids a little older than us, and and, uh, and they're like, well, you can't jump in there. You can't swim. And I'm like, I can swim and jumped in there and realized I couldn't swim. And I remember sinking down to the ground with my eyes open, tumbling and watching the murky water at this lake out in Pennsylvania. And luckily a girl reached in and pulled me out, screamed at me and, uh, and packed me on my way. And I, so twice I almost drowned my life. Not a good thing. I needed saving. Amen. Uh, my kids have Two of them almost drowned when we were in the Bahamas one time. That was a tragic situation. It was supposed to be a, a, a lagoon, but there was a current going through there. My kids got caught in the current, and the two oldest ones, Matthew and Melanie, who were in Texas and, and Pennsylvania, but they almost drowned out. I ran into the water fully dressed, wallet and keys and shoes and everything, and, and, and pulled them both out of the lagoon. And a uh, terrible thing to almost die. Somebody needs to save you. My friend, we realize that we're lost and on our way to hell. We need somebody to save us. And Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the only person who can do that. So saving faith is, again, it's, it's not just head knowledge. Saving faith is believing in Jesus, who and what he is, and that he is the Savior. Saving faith really is a commitment. It's a man looking to Christ, and, and I'm committing myself to him because he is Savior. I believe what he did for me. It's the idea that we, we give Jesus everything, and therefore it, it involves all my affairs. I, I am believing upon Christ. When somebody's rescuing you, 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 you rely upon them to, to rescue you because you're unable to do anything. If you're drowning, you, I, watched, I, I remember a story one time about somebody who was drowning and, and, and a man who knew how to swim stood there on the shore and he watched as that person was drowning. And somebody said, well, you've got to rush in and save him. He goes, and they watched, and the man was going and drowning and struggling. And finally, the man ran in and, and pulled him out. And they said, why did you wait? He said, because he was too strong. I had to wait till he got weak enough that I could save him. If I went out there, he would have got me in a bear hug, and we both would have went down to a watery grave. 
My friend, it's not till we get weak enough and know that I, I, I can't do this. I need Christ that we can really have salvation. It's not till pride leaves us and we say, you know what? Uh, I, uh, I, I need the Lord. Brother Dave, as he was reading this morning, a verse he, he read there popped out at me. And it's, just so, it's so true. It says, the backslider in the heart is um, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from self. What's that mean? When somebody's backslidden and away from God, what they talk about is themselves. Hey, why don't you come back to church? Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I, and and I, and I, and and they give you all the reasons why they can't because it's all about I. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. I got to do, and I got, and I. But he says, a good man shall be satisfied from himself. What's that mean? It's the idea of when we learn to, it's all about God and, and I'll be satisfied from, from me because me can be horrible sometimes. Me wants all about me and me wants praise and me wants glory and me wants satisfaction. And I need to be rescued from that. And when salvation does salvation in Christ. It's, it's not about me. I can't do this. You ask somebody, why are you going to heaven? Well, I... And they'll give you a laundry list. I never did this. I never did this. And I'm a good person. I'm, 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 I'm. It's not about you. You see, until you realize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When I was young, it don't look like it, but I could be very athletic at times. And I entered a lot of races and competitions and, and relay races and, and standing broad jumps and running broad jumps. My friend, it didn't matter how far you can jump. If you didn't cross the finish line uh, in that running broad jump, it didn't matter. You fell short. If you had to jump 20 feet and only landed nine, a 19, you still fell short. The guy behind you may be 18 or 17, but you still fell short. All have come short. Nobody's able to get across that line. That's why we need Christ. And I must rest upon him. I must believe in Christ. So God gives us these stories of these ladies. And of course, we meet some of them. They're already Christians. Mary, the mother of the Lord, she's a Christian, obviously. And then we meet the woman at the well. She's not a Christian. She's really lost. She's got a lot of problems in her life, but she gets saved because she believes upon Christ. We meet the woman taking an adultery, that awfully bad situation, how horrible it was for her, and the, and the entire thing was bad. But yet she found salvation because at the end of herself, she needed Christ. And then, of course, we meet Mary and Martha, and they're already saved. And we meet Mary Magdalene when she's already saved. But they, they all, at a point, came to, to, to saving faith. They believed. So again, it's the idea that we give Jesus everything. We entrust our life and our being Him. It's, it's believing upon Him and trusting in Him. And there are three steps that involved in faith. Steps that are clearly seen in the Bible. Look, if you will, at Romans chapter number 10. Again, I have a lot to say this morning, and this is just part of it. In Romans chapter number 10, we see, again, a very familiar verse. When we talk to somebody about Christ, what do we say? In Romans chapter 10 and verse number 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is the step of, of seeing or hearing. He says in verse number 16 of Romans chapter number 10, But, have, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Have we believed the report, or have we believed the Bible? So it's the step of seeing. Now, again, when you read something, you have a picture in your mind. 
Reading takes you to a place you've never been, but you see an image. When you read about the woman at the well, where do you find yourself? But you find yourself in the Middle East, outside a city, sitting by a well, and you're observing a conversation. We all have our own little picture of what it looked like. Nobody's picture comes out the same, but we see this woman, maybe we all picture her differently. We all picture Jesus differently, but we're, we all have an image, and we're seeing it in our mind's eye. And we're watching this conversation unfold. We watch the woman being dragged down the street, taking an adultery and thrown at Jesus' feet. And we watch in our mind's eye as he scribbles on the ground. And we, we watch the crowd asking for her death. And, and we see the Lord looking around and saying, who among you without sin cast the first stone? We see that. I get that picture in my mind. I stop and I reflect upon it. And I can see all these stories as I read my Bible. I can see all these women and these conversations in the Scripture. The first step in salvation, my friend, is, is seeing it. I, 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 I see the need in my life for Christ or, or hearing it. I have to hear. Faith comes by hearing, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. A man must be willing to listen to the message of Christ. I've tried to talk to people. Do you know you're going to heaven now? Would you like to know? Yeah, I guess so. And, and you're talking to them the whole time. They're like, it's like when you're preaching and people are like, whatever. Well, you're not listening. You're not paying attention. When I get, you're distracted. You really don't care what I have to say. If I was telling you, listen, I've got a surefire way to have a million dollars in your bank account tomorrow. You'd be, Remember those commercials years ago in the 80s when E.F. Hutton listens? Or when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen? Remember those old commercials? So there's E.F. Hutton, everybody's like, because it's about investing money. Of course, you end up jumping off a roof if it, does, if it all goes south, but there's, everybody's going to listen to E.F. Hutton when he speaks because he's got this great financial advice. Well, Jesus Christ is speaking. Is anybody listening? Eh, doesn't matter. We've all half listened to conversations. Every now my wife will start a conversation with me. And I always find it strange when she starts these conversations this way. She'll say, are you paying attention to me? What do you mean? That's usually because I haven't been paying attention to when my wife was talking. You know, I'm, I have to go out today and I gotta, I gotta do this. And uh-huh, yeah, and I gotta, you know, pray for me. I know you men don't do that. But there are other men who do that, and they need your prayers and safety and, 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 and well-being. There is a step of a mental assessment. A man must agree that the message is true. Do I agree with the message? If we don't agree with it, my friend, we really can't be saved. I don't agree with that. Then there's a problem. Because this is what God says. These things are written that you might believe. You have to agree with what has been written. I agree with that story. I agree with Jesus said. I agree with that. I, I, I'm putting faith in that. Again, many person knows that something is true, but he does nothing to change his behavior to match his knowledge. I know I got to be doing that, Pastor. You know, you know it, but you're not changing. You're not changing. Your marriage is messed up. I know, Pastor, and it's all my fault. Well, are you going to change what's destroying your marriage? Well, yeah, I'm working. No, you're not working on it. You just change it. 
I saw a guy going down the street the other day going very slow. I go, why is this guy going real slow? It's, he had a flat tire. He was going very slow and trying, I guess, trying to get to a level ground. Maybe we can pull over. But I've seen people flying down the highway with flat tires. Like, they know they got a flat tire, but there they go. They're not changing it. They're like, I got three others, and then they're just going down the road. And it, it's, yeah, it's like that. And they wonder, you only need a tire, but you need a rim, and you need every, and a whole bunch of other stuff with your car. I don't understand. Change. You got to change. I know it to be true, so it ought to affect my heart that it changes. I change. I know I'm lost, and Jesus can save me, so I, I need to change or have Christ be willing to change me. A person must believe and know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and, and yet he does nothing about it. He never makes a decision to follow Christ. There's a problem. This man does not have faith, not the kind that the Bible talks about. It's just simply, I, 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 I believe that. Yeah, well, it's all here. We used to call it the 18-inch conversion, where it goes from here to here. Now, I realize this thing in our chest is just an organ that pumps blood around it, but we always... Picture at the center of emotion. And by the way, if this is just an organ that pumps blood, why is it every time your emotions, something bad happens to you, this hurts so much? <laughs> Amen. I remember uh, I had to get surgery a few years ago. They put a, a wire into my leg and ran into my heart. I had to burn some wires in my heart. I was awake when they did that. And they had all these TV screens up there. And I'm laying there watching the TVs and laying there. And, and they're going up there and they're running this thing to my heart. And it starts burning my heart. I'm like, ow. Uh, and he goes, you feel that? I go, yeah. And there's an anesthesiologist. He kind of gave me a little more drugs. I'm like, not so much now, but I can still feel it. And then later on, I'm going to off. I'm like, ow, my heart hurts. My heart hasn't hurt like this since Christine did a number on it back in high school. Amen. <laughs> she tap danced on it. Amen. <laughs> Rotten woman. She, you know, she's a millionaire today. I bet she's sorry she wouldn't go out with me. Amen. But anyway... <laughs> Don't tell my wife that story. <laughs> she thinks I was in a coma for 24 years till I met her. But anyway, my heart hurt. And by the way, when Christine broke it back in high school, this hurts. Amen. And uh, but it, so it does. It all is somehow connected. I guess the emotional center of it all. Until we know it, the facts, and the facts come here to I, I'm going to accept that nothing's changed. There's a step of commitment. When the New Testament speaks of faith, it speaks of a commitment, of a personal commitment to the truth. A man hears the truth and he agrees that it's, it's true and it, it does something about him. And truth can change us. Truth alters us. He commits and, and yields his life to that truth. The truth becomes a part of his very being, a part of his very behavior. So uh, the, the first thing we see in these conversations is to what? What's God's goal? What's the end game? The goal is to get us to believe. I've written these things so that you can believe. And I've given you these seven conversations to show you these, uh, really six women, because two conversations with Mary, these six women here and the conversations, uh, they're, they're all meant to draw you to Christ and show you your need for Christ. But there's something else we see in Scripture that is important for us to understand and, and, and what we have to do. Look, if you will, at Matthew 28. Very familiar verse. Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's um, been very busy since he resurrected. 
going about and doing things. And, and we have what we call the Great Commission. He says in Matthew 28 and verse number 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Now, he, he, the word's not there, but my, the word, he says there, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Verse 20, teaching them. And it's, it's, the, it's the, the phrase or the ideology, I want you to make what? Disciples. You are in the business of making disciples. The goal of our Savior for men and women is to become disciples. Often people have a preconceived notion about how women were treated in Bible days. Now, the woman's role in Bible days was, was defined within the context of the family. Again, and, and families were everything in Jewish societies. They, that was the pillar of society. The head of the household was always the man, and, and, and at the same time, women were respected as wives and, and mothers who served their families, and they raised their children and taught the children the Jewish traditions at home. In the Bible, Jewish women and Jewish cultures were, were never treated as chattel or they were never abused. It was Now, again, they may have been, but it was not what God commanded or, or really what the culture demanded in those days. Now, it is true that in the synagogues, and here's what I want you to see. This is important as we go on through our message. It is true that in the synagogues, women were not taught the Torah together along with the men, but they could learn their scriptures from the husbands later on. Or some older woman in the community. Women could not enter into the court in the temple while the men's court was located closer to the Holy of Holies. And one thing that must be understood in, in learning how to differentiate between culture and what the Bible teaches. And this is key even for us today. What is cultural and what does the Bible teach? And sometimes the Bible will describe a situation, and what the Bible is describing what, when how they're acting, God is describing the people within their culture. It's like today. If I lived 200 years ago, I would be anti-slavery. Would you really? Would you really? Why do we say that now? Because we are in an anti-slavery culture. By the way, next time you drive through New York City, next time you drive through Newark and you see a girl on the street corner, just know that she's a slave. She's owned by a man somewhere who has her out on the street. If you're so anti-slavery, why aren't you out there doing something about it? And by the way, we live in the capital right here. This area, New York, New Jersey, this area is the capital of the sex trade operation. They're all slaves. They can't just say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit and go home. No, they, that's why they, you find them dead. They died of an overdose. Was, was it willingly or? So, you know, we, we all are, we're living in our culture. We all do it. We like to think if I was back then, if I lived in Nazi Germany, I'd be hiding Jews. Would you? Would you? I'm not trying to get off track here, but would you really? We had people 
turning in their neighbor. They're not vaccinated. They can't work here. Get them out of here. They're not vaccinated. They're dangerous to us all. I'm sorry. There's really not much difference. Get, our neighbors hiding Jews are danger to the neighborhood. Our whole neighborhood can get shot. So Johnny's hiding Jews in his attic. You better get them. Johnny's not vaccinated. You better get rid of him because he's going to kill the whole workplace. Well, it's, and it's been proven, by the way, that vaccinated didn't affect the unvaccinated and vice versa. It really didn't. Again, I'm not getting political, but I'm just stating facts. I'm not trying to... But I'm just going to say we live within our culture, don't we? We live within our culture. We read the Bible. I, I was back in the... Would you really? So sometimes we see things happening in the Bible. We say, well, why didn't God do something? Why isn't God doing something about it now? Because maybe that's your job to do it now. Maybe it's your job. So again, we, we see things in the Bible and how women were treated in the Bible. We say, well, why is God allowing that? God does not allow it. God gives instructions on how to treat women. God explains how to treat women. Proverbs goes through great detail on, on women and how they are to be treated and, and, and to be respected. He says in, in Proverbs, the, the heart of the husband what does safely trust in her, who is wife. He also says she opened her mouth with wisdom. Here the Bible declares that a woman has wisdom in her mouth. Proverbs 31, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. So again, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about how a man is to treat his wife and love his wife and respect his wife and, and listen to the wisdom that his wife has. And if a man doesn't listen to the wisdom his wife has, then he's a, a foolish man. If you read the story of Sarah and Abraham, and men like to say that well, Sarah called Abraham Lord. And that's true. Sarah called Abraham Lord. But I also remind you that Abraham treated Sarah like a queen. He treated her with the greatest of respect and love and relied upon her heavily. And so really what you have there is one hand washing the other. And as Miss Helen likes to say, in both hands, wash the face. So if a man loves his wife and treats his wife right and respects her, and she will do the same to him, and they, and they both have a wonderful marriage. But if one's miserable and the other's miserable, then it's bad. Of course, we see things in the Bible. We see Jacob. Remember, Jacob's running away, and we see him putting his wife and children in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a caravan and pushing them forward, and he stayed behind with his own caravan. Well, that was customary. Women and children in one caravan, the man stayed back. You ever stuck in traffic on Interstate 95 on going on vacation, just sitting there, and the kids are in the back, i got to go to the bathroom, make them stop touching me. I'm hungry. How much longer? And your wife's going, you sure we went this way? If we went the other way, we went better. And you're sitting there. Maybe Jacob was right. Maybe Jacob, maybe Jacob should have, should have had the right idea. Now, men, this is where you look at your wife. Men, look at your wife and say, sweetheart, I have no idea what the pastor's talking about. Right? That's what you do right there. I have no idea. What the I, I, but we've all been there. Or you look at your husband and you know, really... But there are things in the Bible that are custom. Well, why am I saying all these things? I'm saying these things for a reason. Because you see things in Scripture where God is dealing with culture. And then we have Christ come along. And we see how Christ is treating these ladies. We see the respect he's giving them, even though some of them are very bad sinners. These are outcasts of society. And he's not going, ew. He says, hey, give me a drink of water. You're asking me for water? Yeah, I want a drink of water. And if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. 
So again, he's not treating her as some cultures may treat women. We see our Lord doing something strangely unique here in, this, in his whole approach and how he deals with every single one of these ladies. They are not treated as second. He doesn't talk down to them. It's not like, you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about, please. This is a man's world. Just be quiet. And, 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 and yeah, that's fine. And no, there's, there's respect going on here. Look, if you will, at Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. Find these places in your Bible. And I hope you understand what I'm saying here and you don't get upset with things. In the book of Acts, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to ascend back to heaven. In the book of Acts, chapter number 1, Verse number 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of the sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, He men in Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into this heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, from which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come into the house, they went into the upper room, and there abode Peter and James and John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. Notice verse 14. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with, what? The women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So then, and verse number 15 says, in those days, uh, and by the way, there's 120 in that room. So who's in that upper room? Who's in that place? 120 people. Who's there? Men and women. When we study Jewish culture, who was in the synagogues? Just the men. Now who do we find together? Men and women. How'd that happen? Jesus Christ did that. They're both together. And they're sitting there learning. And, and they're, they're, they're praying together. And, and they're, they're fellowshipping together. We see in, in chapter number 2, in verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. There again, who's all? Well, the men and the women. And so Christ is trying to tell the, what Christ did in this day and time, did something that, again, was unique. You know, there's a bunch of men and women all hanging out in that one room up there, and they're talking about the things of God together. They, they, they shouldn't be doing that. Don't they know that the men do that and, and the women stay over here with the families and, and the men will come home and teach them? No. Men and women together. Look, if you will, at Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 12. Now, Peter got thrown into prison. Why did he get thrown into prison? Because he's a Christian. Funny thing about living as a Christian, sometimes you may, end up, you may end up in jail when you live like a Christian. And that's getting, by the way, we've got preachers in Canada going to jail because they had church. Well, they had church during COVID. They had Walmart during COVID and the liquor stores and the abortion clinics during COVID, and none of those guys are going to jail. <laughs> what am I now? They're going to jail for being Christians. People around this world are being killed because they're Christians. Peter goes to jail. And by the way, verse 1, Now at the time Herod, the king, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John of the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to take Peter also. 
By the way, hey, these people like when I kill Christians. Let me do some more of that. It's a funny thing that people do like to see Christians punished. You don't believe it? Just watch social media sometimes. Let a preacher fall and watch how social media rejoices when a preacher falls or a preacher gets arrested or something bad happens. Now, Peter gets to prison, and we know that an angel comes and releases Peter from prison. And, and Peter gets out of jail, and, he, and where's the first thing Peter does is he goes to church. Amen? He says in verse number 11, And Peter, when he was come to himself, said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent me his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered these things, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel hearkened named to him Rhoda. And so here we see again, Peter goes to Mary's house, the mother of John. And what's he doing? He's going there for the purpose of church. Let me go to where the church is hanging out. Who's there? This is Mary's having church at her house. They didn't have a building back in those days, and they had church usually at night because they were working on Sundays. They didn't have Saturday and Sundays off. They had Saturday off because of Sabbath, but they still didn't get Sunday off yet. They had to work on Sundays. So they have church at night, which explains why Paul was late time preaching on night and why the guy fell asleep and fell out the window, if you read the, the whole story of Acts, because they didn't have Sunday morning church. They had Sunday night. After we get done with work, we go to church on Sunday and other Bible studies. But again, we're seeing who's involved. God's mentioned, God makes very clear that and mentioning the women in this story. I want you to look at one more very quickly, Luke chapter number 24, and I love this one, Luke 24. And I, I want to spend a few moments on this one to help uh, all of us here. This will help married people, and this is going to help you single people. In Luke 24, In Luke 24, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. It's, it's after the resurrection. It's probably Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday sometime throughout here. And it says in verse number 13 of Luke 24, And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. That's seven miles. Now, we don't know where the village of Emmaus is today. It's lost to time. But two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and it says, and as they talked together of all the things that had happened, and it came to pass while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, and, but their eyes were withholding that they should not know him. So here we have these two people walking down the road, and they're talking about the resurrection, the, the, the crucifixion, all that happened to Christ, and they're getting great detail about this and having this conversation, and all of a sudden Jesus walks up alongside of them, and Jesus purposely makes it so that they don't recognize him. And he starts talking with them. So now three people are walking down this road, this seven-mile journey. And we learn in Scripture here uh, something. And it says in verse number 18, And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast thou not known the things which are come to pass these days? Here we're told one of the people's names. One of the disciples' name is Cleopas. You say, why is that important? Well, take your Bible. Look at John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. John 19, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. So who are these two people? One is Cleopas, and the other, my friend, is, again, her name, according to the Bible, is Mary, the wife of Cleopas. So we have a husband and wife team. The two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus are husband and wife. Say, what's your problem? What, you, what are you trying to say is... I want you to notice what they're doing. 
Pay attention to what they're doing. Verse number 14, and they talked together of all the things that had happened. This husband and wife, as they walk down the road, Mary and Cleopas, as they're walking together, what is the focus of their conversation? It's a biblical conversation. It's a Christ conversation. It's a Bible conversation. They are talking about these things. And the Bible says in verse number 15, and while they communed together, now the word communed and the word talked are really the same word. But God uses the word commune because what's the purpose of this word? He's trying to tell us here that this was not a short conversation, but they are continuing to talk as they go down the road. So often a wife may ask her husband a Bible question and he gives her a short answer and he's done. Or vice versa. There is no communing. There is no fellowship on the things of God. Not this couple. This husband and wife team are walking seven miles back home, and for seven miles they are talking about Jesus Christ and the events of the day and the resurrection. And what do you think it means? And, and how do you think this plays out with Scripture? And, and, and what, what do we make of all this, sweetheart? Well, I don't know, honey. What do you, you know, it, the Bible says, and, and by the way, Mary was there. I was there at the empty tomb, and, and I saw the tomb, and I saw those angels, and, and, uh, and, and I got to see that uh, Cleophas. I know you did, sweetheart. I can't believe you saw it. That's amazing that God let you see that. And, and, and now he's risen. And, and, and Mary Magdalene saw him and talked to him. And they're communing. They're talking. And notice it continues. And it says, and, verse 15, and reasoned. And reasoned. That word reason means to investigate jointly. That is discussed, to, 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 to dispute, to inquire, to question, to reason. All, and so there is this deep conversation that these two are having and what we learn is that they had a wonderful relationship with each other that they were able to talk together with each other he was not intimidated by her out of these two who had the greater story to tell she did who seemed to show greater devotion she did she was she went to the tomb early morning to anoint the body of the dead lord christ but not realizing he rose And so they're talking. And I want us to see here that he valued her insight. He valued any wisdom that she may have, and they are investigating this together. And this is important. Husbands and wives ought to be able to talk about spiritual things. We can talk about a lot of things in life. But every now and then, your wife may say, Sweetheart, what do you think this means? And I don't know. That's the pastor. I don't know. What do you think it means? And talk about it. Try to get answers together. Discuss. Single people. Girls, let me help you young ladies. If you meet a guy and, and, and you try to bring up a spiritual thing and he gives you five-minute answers and, and walks to a, a different topic, maybe he's not the guy for you. If he's not willing to talk about Christ, because if he loves Christ, he's going to want to talk about Christ. If he loves you, he, loves, he wants to talk about you. You know, you got a girlfriend. Yes, my girlfriend has her pictures, and she's beautiful, and, and, and she does this, and she's all, and, 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 and he'll talk about you. You don't believe, look at Facebook. Here's my, here's my girlfriend. I love you, Mary Jean, and I love you very with all my heart. It's like, dude, please, you know, we get it. It's all wonderful, amen? It's great. Why is he doing it? Or, or she, you know, I can, I can show you things. I can show you some old Bibles my wife wrote in, I had. 
where she wrote, we're in college, she wrote things in my Bible and uh, little hearts and things she put there in my Bible. The woman loved me once, amen? And uh, she still does. <laughs> she still does. <laughs> it's just, uh, she'll every now and then, we'll, we, we get that way, but we've, that was, you get it. God does those things when you're young to tie us together and it's all wonderful. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you first. We'll hang up together. My sister was talking on the phone with her soon-to-be husband one day, and she fell asleep on him. That's, that's true love right there. You stay on the phone. <laughs> Back in the old days when you had the phone attached to a wall, amen? I'm sure Alicia's never done that to Ronald, but other <laughs> he maybe done that to her. Brother Ronald doesn't talk too much. I can't see. <laughs> but they talk, and, and, and if you meet somebody and they're not willing... We got a girl in our church. She's I, I, the guy she marries. That guy, because she's like, if the first words out of his mouth aren't "I love Jesus," she's she's, she's not having nothing to do with him. Amen. So I got to talk. Listen, I know you're a good Christian, but when you go over to her and say, "Isn't the Bible wonderful?" Here's the things. Here's a script. You're not going to get anywhere with her. That's a good thing, by the way. Girls, make sure he loves Christ, and you can talk about the things of God together. And he's not intimidated by your wisdom. Some men are intimidated by their wife's wisdom. They've got to know, my wife, you're a woman. No, just because she's a woman, my friend, just because God made them second in the creation order doesn't mean they are second in order. That's a help meet. God didn't take her from her feet so we can walk on her. God didn't take her from a man's brain so she can rule over us. God took her from a rib, which is closest to our heart, so we can walk side by side and commune along with each other, and, 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 and Christ is teaching us these things. And we see this with this relationship here and the, and the relationship they have, that, again, we, we want to have fellowship with somebody. It's a terrible thing if you fall in love with somebody just because of looks or some personality. I knew a guy out in Pennsylvania. He wasn't a Christian. He became a Christian later on, but he big guy. He played football for Penn State University, just a big guy, Thick black hair, Pennsylvania farm boy, just a good-looking, big mountain of a man. And uh, he married a girl. So happens she was a Russian model. I never met her, but I knew his uncle, and his uncle said she was a Russian model. I said, well, I guess that means she was pretty. He goes, oh, that's all he said. You take it for what it's worth. Pastor, we shouldn't talk like that. I'm just letting you know. That's... The marriage didn't last long. And what he said, what this boy said, when the marriages all fell apart, he said, I married her for all the wrong reasons. He finally met a girl. They're married. They're happy. They got children, and they're blessed because he married her for the right reasons. My friend, if this doesn't connect, <laughs> if this doesn't connect, you know, I love her because she's so pretty. That wears off. It better be here. We better be able to talk about something and commune together and fellowship together. And so what Christ is teaching us is, again, is that, one, it's about, this, it's about believing. Two, it's about giving women a rightful place. Again, women, I don't believe, as the Bible teaches, women can't pastor a church, but they can have a place. Thank God for the women in my life, the godly women in my life, my mother and Sunday school teachers are all shaped and molded me and helped me to become a man that loved God. 
I'm indebted to those dear ladies and what they did in my life. I'm indebted to the women of this church and all that they do to labor here alongside of us and, and, to, and to minister. Thank God for Moses' sister who aided him and helped him in, in his ministry. There's so many godly women in Scripture who serve the Lord. And, and very quickly, I'll say this. The, the, the purpose of all this, again, is to, is to give women a rightful place. I saw a lady, she used to come, I haven't seen her since COVID, but she used to walk up the hill in, in black from head to toe with just the eyes open. We all know the burkas they wear, and sometimes in some places they don't even have the eyes open. They have the screen, so you can't see anything. It's a repressive culture, repressive religion. You're nothing, and many religions are like that. But Christ comes along and says, no, no. I'm going to sit down alongside this sinful woman and talk to her, just like he sat down along sinful men. I'm going to deal with this woman taking an adultery and, and help her. I'm going to deal with these godly ladies over here, and, and so on and so forth. So all of these things taken together, we see again what Christ has for us. And the purpose was to take these women and make them what? Disciples. Women can be disciples. Now, often the Bible, when the Bible uses the word disciples, he's often referring to the 11. But again, Jesus talks about, in, in Scripture, we don't have time for it today, but talks about making disciples of all men. And that word men means mankind. A man and a woman can be a disciple of Christ, one who commits themselves to learning about Christ. And Christ is there teaching us that men and women can be disciples and serve the Lord. Let's stand together for prayer. as a woman makes her presence known. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Lord, what Scripture teaches us, that nobody's better than anybody. All are sinners, all are lost, and all can have faith that leads to salvation. And I pray, dear Lord, that you help us this day to realize, Lord, that as we deal with each other, not only are we brothers and sisters in Christ, but, Lord, we are co-heirs together in the riches of Almighty God. And all of us can help and bless each other. And we can commune with each other and reason and talk the things of Almighty God. Help us this day and this hour now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.